Aloha, how's it? What's good, y'all? This is the Tech Brother coming to you on a June 20th, Tuesday, about 10 after 2. Slide in to do a little quick podcast. Um, I know it, it has been a while for Tech Brother, but I'll, uh, but I'll explain why. Uh, the Tech Brother has been roped into the Brother Works family. Um, and the Brother Works basically, B-R-A-D-D-A dot W-O-R-K-S. That is the new website for all of my quote-unquote brother initiatives from Dub Brother, Soul Brother, Tech Brother, Biz Brother, Coach Brother, and more brothers to come. So one of my many alter egos. And um, so I'm excited about this. This has been kind of a lifelong dream of mine is to be able to help people. And so what better way to do it than with the platform that I have and with my love for technology. So I'm digging this. I'm loving this. I appreciate the support. Definitely spread the word. You know, you can go to brada.works down at the bottom, the social media handles, all that. Get at me. We're going to talk about some tech today, every day. But specifically, I want to talk about the lowdown on buying versus writing software. Um, Currently at my place of employment, you know, we are working through something similar to this and I have a lot of experience in this department because one part uh, developer and one part manager in my previous uh, lives you know um, I've I've been on both sides of this of this uh, discussion this coin this conundrum if you will and it's tough right but it comes down to a, a couple of aspects and I think the first aspect obviously is cost that always drives everything, you know, um, and then time, you know, um, but time, not in the sense of, you know, um, not necessarily how long is it going to take, but more in regards to your personnel, how long will it take them to come through with something to be able to accommodate the needs of the business? You know, it's um, when you decide to go farm out and look for software a lot of a lot of the times you know you're you need to fit into a package a predefined set of instructions template structure that a vendor has come up with if you need special alterations typically they will accommodate you for a fee of course but moving forward if you have any changes in your processes that also will um requires some customization. Typically, the pricing points at that point is just a skosh more than probably what you want. But uh, to the vendor, uh, you're already locked in or so or so they feel. So so really, at that point, it really comes down to, okay, is it worth it or not? Versus writing software, obvious you have full control, but do you? You have more that you have to tend with, be concerned about, worry about, you know. Um, so there's a lot of pros and cons on both sides of this, you know. Uh, so I'm going to try to walk through one and then the other and then my thoughts, you know, um, kind of as we go along there. But just try to point out some things that hopefully might help you because it's not easy. It's really not easy trying to make this decision. Um, I've seen organizations struggle, and they struggle for the simple fact that, you know, um, they don't really know what they want. And before you embark on any mission for anything, not even uh, technology-related, if you don't know where you want to go, if you cannot already see or envision yourself at your destination, or if you can't see what your solution should look like or be for your organization, 
first and foremost, you need to sit down and you need to architect that out or blueprint it, something. You need to write it out. You need to figure it out because that right there is going to drive a lot of your decisions, believe it or not, trying to determine which is the best way to go. And just because you pick one way doesn't necessarily mean that you got to stick with that. You could go the hybrid model, you know. Um, there's a lot of people that um, will have a little bit of a vendor solution and then and then uh, they'll have their own kind of kind of customization into that hooks, APIs, things like that, right? So so there's always uh, the hybrid, sorry, not hybrid, but the hybrid model, you know. So so there's not really a clean, definite answer. It really comes down to your needs, you know. So so uh, let's get into this. This is going to be exciting, fun. Hopefully, you know, the folks that I work with will get a little bit out of this because I haven't even shared some stuff with them. Um, it just hasn't got to that point. But because it, w- it was on my mind, um, it's something that's important. I thought, you know, hey, why not? So in, in terms of buying, you know, it's obvious. If you're going to buy a solution, you know, you're going to have to find, like, the right vendor. Things are going to have to line up, obviously. You're going to need to understand your requirements before you even reach out and talk to any vendor. Um, but as long as you have a pretty decent wrangle on what it is that you're trying to achieve, you know, overall – as long as you articulate that properly, you know, um, you know, uh, you, if you, if you, if you have to collaborate with them, Word documents, Atlassian, whatever it is that you use, right? There's going to be a little bit of back and forth, obviously. Um, I mean, obviously they're going to do a scope of work document, probably going to have a contract, all that jazz, right? But really focus, you know, I always tell people, cause I used to do this as an independent, uh, consultant, you know, it's like, don't necessarily judge things on cost. I know it's hard not to, but you should not. And the reason for that is because sometimes you're going to have to pay just a little bit to get what you want, especially if you're going to go uh, the buying route. Um, one size does not always fit all, especially in this arena. It just does not happen. Um, so you have to be willing to be flexible. So that's why understanding your requirements up front will help you to be able to know at which point or points you need to be kind of flexible with, you know, there's going to be some give and take. There's going to be risks that you're going to have to take on and assume. But typically, generally, you know, if you buy, you can get to production faster, right? But that comes at a cost, you know, because, again, if you have special processes and different things like that that you do, you're going to have to try to retrofit that in or figure out how to incorporate that in up front. So that's going to take some work. But typically, if the vendor has a has an easy way, if your data is not too complex to implement that, you're probably going to be in in pretty good shape. So so that's one upside. Right. You know, um, that's definitely that. But, you know, but then a downside is basically, you know, there's going to be uh, uh, the capital, you know, um, the cost. Is it worth it? Will you get a good ROI, return on investment, if you go and you purchase this? Looking down the road, you know, you need to understand what the roadmap is uh, for your, your uh, company. You need to understand the things that you're trying to do. If you buy this piece of software, is this going to fit into the fray? Now, a lot of people say, well, how can you do that, brother? Well, it's hard. I get it. It's very, very, very difficult. But you're going to have to have some forward thinking. You're going to have to have some what I call scouting happening, you know, like you're going to have to talk like to management business. You're going to have to get a feel for things. If you're stuck in a contract with a vendor and they're not working for you, but they have a new module and that module is what you need. But overall, you know, you're not really, you're not really, you're not really, you don't want to move forward with them. You know, uh, you don't want to give them any more business. That's something that you should factor in. You don't want to try to purchase something um, in haste, especially if the vendor hasn't really shown you that they're willing to come and meet you at the table and meet all your needs. That should be a sign for you that you should probably run like hell because you're probably not going to get much more than what you're already getting. Now, some people 
right? I used to work for a company that did this. They continued to put money into the vendor that they kept complaining about. And then at some point, it got to the point where now that vendor just was like, whatever. They had already kind of maxed out their implementation potential, if you will. Like there wasn't much more customizations or different things that they were willing to do for the most part because the company that I worked for, we were kind of a small fry, you know? So it was like, eh, you know, why should we make changes for you? You know, so you got to really, you got to really think things through. Is it really worth it? At some point, it may not be. And so that, unfortunately, is going to be a decision that your leadership, you know, most likely uh, your PMs, your development managers, you know, you're going to have to sit down and you should have a roadmap, uh, like I said, for where you want your technology to go. And, you know, and incorporated in that should be a plan in terms of third-party vendors who you want to bring on versus if you want to write it on your own. Because, I mean, it's hard. And a lot of these vendors don't want to do that much like to help you. They claim that they will on their SOW. They show face. Everything is good. And then, yeah, hey, we'll, uh, uh, we'll do that for you. It's almost like they give you that freebie. But then when you get in like with them and things start going on, now you've kind of reached your first milestone. Hey, we need some additional implementations, done some customizations. And you see that uh, the vendors kind of, I don't know, like, like they're not really like they're not really willing like to be open and flexible. That should be a sign right there that uh, you should run like hell. Because a lot of people just tell you what they want to tell you. They get you in there on that first one. They lock you into some type of support tier that's ungodly crazy. And then bam. And depending on the contract that you signed, if it's a if it's a two, three, five, ten, or even longer year, you're stuck. Um, if you breach, obviously there's gonna be, depending on your contract, a prepayment a penalty or, or even worse. Um, but then the bigger thing is that you're going to cause disruption to your business, to your processes, to your bottom line, to you making money and no, and nobody wants that. So you really need to think this through in terms of buying. Yeah. Just a piece of damn software, all this, right? Um, now one thing that is on your side, right? is in terms of the scheduling, right? So most vendors are willing to kind of move quickly, of course, because the quicker they move, the quicker they get paid, right? So they want to see things through. So that is on your side, right? You definitely can have a good control of that. But at, but at some point, right, especially with like, with like, with like a, a let's say um, you have a vendor that, is going to be implementing something, but they haven't quite implemented it. And their marketing notes and pamphlets, all that stuff, they said that, well, we can do this and we can do that. But then when you really sit down, then it's like, well, they haven't done nothing yet. So, you know, so there's a lot of that kind of putting on that goes on. So that's why you need to vet. You just shouldn't hurry up and run out and grab something because somebody said so. No, you need to vet these people because no offense, but uh, these vendors have been getting very slick and, and crafty. It's all in the wording. So make sure that you got people that understand that vernacular because they will put things in there and they'll be very sly about it and they'll lock people in. Because if you think about it from an economic standpoint, when the pandemic happened, that knocked a lot of people off the water. So these vendors now are kind of in like, this is going to be the second season since all that where they're trying to recoup. So you really got to be careful because I've seen these vendors, they're cutthroat and they will come and they will try to make sure that uh, they tell you what you want to hear, but they don't deliver or they do the delay tactic where they kind of slow things down a bit, where they kind of draw it out. No, make sure that because you control this. If you want if you want me as your customer, if you want me to use your product, this is my schedule. This is my timing. Now, in saying that, you still need to be open and flexible, right? Because there's going to be some things that, you know, may take some time. But for the most part, they want your business. So, therefore, they will and they should be willing, like, to do any. Uh, they should be willing, like, 
uh, to do any and everything that they can to get you what you need, keep you happy, make it cost effective so that they can continue to mature that relationship with you and have a fruitful one. I'm not saying that it's not possible. It's definitely possible. There's good vendors out there, but there's also for as many for as many good vendors, there's some crappy ones out there too. And they just no good. So you really need to do your homework. Right? Don't be rash and try to make a quick decision because you think you need something. No, you may have a need, but make sure that you quell your need with good information and so that you fully are aware of the decisions that you're making and what you're getting into. Because these agreements, like I like I said, I've seen some gnarly contracts. And when and when I used to do all that, and I, I would always write my own contracts. I had a good fella contract, right? It was just it was typically between me and the business. And I would have things in there that was going like to protect us both, but I was realistic with everything. You know, I always made sure that the cost was always relative to the size of the, of, of the organization. I mean, obviously, but that it made sense. If I want repeat business, I'm not going to charge you a whole bunch of money and try to get you in. I'm not going to make no claim to fames either. I would always have everything. If I had demos, if I had software that I was going to show, like whatever, I always came ready, prepared. All of my features were implemented. And they weren't, okay, well, it's, it's on the books. Hell no. Because I've seen things be on the books for years, if not decades, and they never make it off the books or they get canceled. And look at what you just did. You just paid six figures for something that you never really realized. And now you're trying to find something else. I worked for a company in Kansas. They went through that. That's when uh, they was uh, uh, they were trying to decide in between Great Plains accounting software and Lawson, uh, especially on the GL and the AP side. And I just was kind of like, hmm. So they finally went with Lawson because we were a Microsoft shop and they wanted to, to have all the inter integration points uh, with Great Plains, the dynamics uh, part of that, um, the biz talk, you know, like all that. But it turned out that, you know, this particular company just made a lot of claim to fame, a, a lot of promises. We wound up actually writing our own connectors and doing our own thing, interfacing into Lawson with some extracts and different things like that and making uh, batch processes versus being able to implement directly in the Great Plains and using and using everything. All because a vendor decided that uh, they were just going to, you know, say that they had a feature that they really didn't have. For whatever reason, uh, they lost the brain trust. They lost employees, you know. Um, they had a change in their roadmap. Whatever happened, right? That was a bad purchase on the company uh, uh, that I worked for. It was a bad purchase on their part. They should have vetted it out more. It caused more rework and different things with us developers than it would have if they would have done the vetting, confirmed some things, not have paid, and then we would have all been pretty much all in sync and online. Our solution that we were building at the time wouldn't have been late. You see where I'm going with this, right? That's why it's important. You got to do your vetting. Um, but if you choose not to, then, you know, you get what you get, right? So um, the other huge thing, right, is, um, is from a support and security and compliance standpoint, right? So in terms of support, right, um, typically, you know, you're going to pay for your support tier. Um, normally it's just email only. Then another tier might be email and phone calls, uh, you know, and those may be within certain windows of time. And then maybe a third tier would be email calls for 24 hours, blah, 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 right? From your P1 down to your P3, typically, they don't really care about P4s. So that's uh, uh, your priority issues, right? So you need to make sure that whatever solution that you get makes sense from a, um, you know, from a support standpoint. Um, it needs to have everything that you that you know that you're going to need, not just for the business side, but also for the developers that are probably going to help to support this and do uh, some of the slight uh, configuration changes, the installations, and different things like that, right? So ensuring that the business gets with IT 
and they make sure that they run things through really helps. Um, when you're purchasing software, communication is key in between your inter-departments. I work for places, um, uh, they don't talk, and they basically, the business goes off and purchases a whole bunch of software, and then, and then all of a sudden, they have their first issue. And, and for IT, we knew nothing about this software. No lie. We knew nothing about this software. And the business is reaching out because they need support. It's like, well, we don't know nothing about this because the business took it upon themselves to go ahead and procure it, buy it, and set it up and do that. Now they're having issues. Well, you need to work with the vendor, right? So a lot of people feel as though, well, if we buy this, then IT will support it. No. So you need to get that kind of understood. That's a distinction that a lot of people fail to understand. If you have if you have an internal IT department, they did not write that software. They don't know what the quote unquote black box is doing. The black box is going to be you have the software and whatever it does, all that logic, the code and all the different things. We typically cannot see that. So it basically means that you're going to have to get a good understanding of what that is and how it works so that you understand if you have issues, how to either try uh, to circumvent them or to actually get support for them. But a lot of business, they depend on, on their IT departments. Well, get us involved sooner than later. Because you have, let's say, you ha let's say you're doing a check run or you're doing a, you're a GL, you're trying to close the books and you're having issues, and you reach out to, let's say, the vendor, um, you know, let's say it's after hours, and the vendor's like, well, your support tier doesn't, you don't, uh, it's like, sorry, but uh, you didn't pay for that you got to close the books because it's time sensitive. So you reach out now to IT. IT is like, what do you want me to do? Uh, you know, I, there's nothing I can do to help you. And a lot of business will get upset about that, but it's the truth. You know, A lot of departments, they tend to silo things like that. And so for me, I'm from the camp that sharing is caring. The more information, the better. Over-communicate because if you only state or say what you think is even relative or relevant uh, just for you when it comes down to situations like this you're up a creek you know so you really need to be cautious on that and the other part too is the security and the compliance you know a lot of people are moving into uh, being more secure from I mean obviously all of the data breaches um, uh, that we had uh, the Capital One that was pretty that one was pretty bad. This was like a couple few years ago now. That one, that one was really bad. And there's been others at some huge um, financial institutions that have, that have been uh, kind of gnarly. But, you know, uh, security and compliance is a big deal. And believe it or not, the backbone of a lot of these solutions and technologies that we get from these vendors are written fast, obviously, because they're trying to get something out to market to make money. They don't necessarily always take care of creating a secure solution, something that can pass compliance. So you need to definitely vet this, because if you are, let's say that you know you uh, you uh, uh, you're bound by HIPAA, SAS seventy of any type, Sarbanes Oxley, anything like that, right? If there is, or or even, you know, uh, uh, the most important PCI. You know, if you're bound by any of those, GDPR, you know, you need to make sure that you vet that that solution is going to accommodate that because a lot of people, a lot of other vendors, businesses, if you're going to do like a B2B, they will not integrate with you if you're not secure. So there's things that uh, you can do. So there's SSO. Obviously, your connection needs to be over TLS. Nothing, nothing prior to two, but you need to be moving to three. And if you're still dealing with SSL and Cypher Suites, uh-uh, I ain't messing with you. You need to get current security. People keep lacking on it, and there's and then uh, we keep having breaches. There's a reason for this. You got to stop it. Um, you know, people don't take security and compliance to heart until it happens to them. Then all of a sudden, then Everybody wants to pass the buck and blame. And I'm like, no, you had the opportunity. You chose not to write secure code or do things in a, in, in a secure manner. And, you know, it is what it is. 
So, and people need to understand, if you get breached, that could mean your job. So if you're working with a vendor that has, that has unsafe practices, they don't believe in security and compliance, that's going to fall on you. So the best thing to do is to get some type of attestation. And that attestation, it basically says, hey, you attest that you are, that, um, you are and will continue to be secure, safe, and compliant whatever standard that they're following. And I, you know, and I, and I name some and there's plenty more, but you know, you need to make sure that you are going to consistently conform to this and make sure that it's something that's on an annual basis. If you want to do quarterly, that's up to you, but I think annual is sufficient and make sure that you hold these people to that. Cause a lot of people think, well, I could just go out and buy software and then I'll just, make it, you know, so now uh, their responsibility is on the vendor. Uh, no, the responsibility is still on you because you're using these people's software, but you're, but, uh, you're bringing it into your business. So anything in the scope of your business is your responsibility. A lot of companies, a lot of people think that they can pass the buck. That's not how it works. You know, um, when I worked at uh, Hawaiian Airlines, you know, uh, there was a big push uh, for security, because initially it really wasn't that important. Apparently, they had some issues, and it kind of forced them to actually have to stop and really uh, take a step back. Like, it, like I mean, it was embarrassing that we couldn't take payments and stuff online, but we were not compliant. So now they are, and I'm happy for them, you know, but it took a lot of work. I was involved with that project. It was a lot of work, scrum mastering and developing testing galore, you know, so there's a lot of people that, you know, that at that point, they didn't really understand. And at that time, it was a lot. So people had to not only understand what being secure and compliant meant, but they also had to implement it on the fly and do it in a safe and secure manner. And they did, and they pulled it off. And it was amazing, you know, so a lot of kudos uh, to the people that I worked with over there, and they know who they are, because we went through hell and back. And there were times I would bring in donuts, like for people, they would devour the hell out of those things because some people up up, up uh, late. And so if I was to bring in like some poi donuts, all the sugar that was on them suckers, boy, they just go ahead and just down them suckers and they get right back to coding. But the thing that I can say is that they learned a lot about that process. They learned a lot about about like these other other uh, technologies and different things that they implemented to help them to become more secure. Right. So. It's that kind of it's that it's that kind of work. That's what it's going to take, you know. Um, but many of these vendors are embracing uh, being uh, more secure and and uh, compliant, you know. So that's kind of in your favor, but don't necessarily assume right off and straight off that you know that you're not going to have any any issues because you know. There are people that will just put any old thing in there, but when you get down into it, right, uh, your developers, your network folks, I mean, when we get our hands on it, then we can really see what's really going on. And nine times out of ten, there's some holes. And so those are the risks that you're going to have to take. Okay, if we use your product, then this is not done. So from our security posture, can we or should we move forward with you? And I've seen things stop right then and there. You could have You can have everything just all lined up. And if there's no accommodation, if there's no push on the vendor to actually make things right from a security and compliance standpoint, right, that could that could really, I mean, it could really cost a deal. So my suggestion, which I used to always tell my clients, make your agreements contingent on a security and compliance review, making sure that, you know, they are in strict compliance and that they can securely, securely, you know, work with you, your data, your processes, right? And make sure that at no point that you have any potential of being breached because everything looks good on paper, but it doesn't mean a damn thing until you see the code. And a lot of people won't show you the code until you sign the paper. So make sure that you have your contingencies in there. Don't feel bad. This is business. I ought to get the biz brother in here because he'll tell you this is business, you don't want to screw up anything because 
again, that attestation uh, compliance doesn't mean a damn thing. You sign the papers, that means you're liable. And yeah, for every transaction that uh, you're out of compliance on, that could be big bucks for you. So be very careful, friends. You know, you really got to look for that. Now, in terms of buying, am I saying that you shouldn't do it? No. I'm just saying there's some things that you, that you got to look for. In terms of building, you know, I mean, obviously you have. If you were to build your own software, you have tons more control. That's obvious. And you can tailor whatever it is that you're doing to your business, your processes, all that. So you have full-on control. But you're limited. And you're limited in the sense that, you know, you're limited you're limited on the staff that you have. So how many people do you have on your development team and your network team? And then what type of knowledge do they have? Most people will actually take the time and grow the knowledge in-house. That's why I'm a big proponent of, if you're a developer, you should not only know how to code, you should know how to understand the business. Because if you don't understand the business, then you're not gonna be able to do a damn thing. And you won't be able to actually attribute to this writing of software if your organization chooses uh, to do that. In saying that, though, there are some problems that will and can occur, right? If your team doesn't have a good command over not just the technology and understanding the servers, the different software packages, APIs, or different things that they may need or third-party things to actually make the vision happen, Right. So you need to make sure that from the standpoint of hiring, and this goes way before the project, that you vet people really good. If people say that they have X amount of experience in this, then you better push them on that. Make sure that uh, when you hire, that you hire for a purpose. You know, again, it's business, but you got to make sure that you're vetting. You can't get upset or pissed off if someone lies and gets through your whole process and then you find out. I mean, to be honest, that's on you. That's why I'm not really a big to-do for these developers that like to do, quote-unquote, the WYSIWYG uh, development. I honestly think that, you know, if you don't know how to get down and write some C-sharp or write some Java or build a web service, write some SQL or do things like that, uh, I mean, all those things are things that you need to do. Yeah, there's ORM technologies. There's a bunch of SDKs, packages out there that, uh, you can use, it still requires you to have some knowledge of the base understanding of development, the base understanding of networking. So if you don't have that, then you're not going anywhere. I've worked with lots of teams that basically you had all these people claiming that they knew all this. So then you wait a couple of years and now the time has come. You're working on a project that requires your skills and people just kind of loaf, sit back and they're like, uh, and you're kind of scratching your head as to, well, what now is going on? Well, you got played. <laughs> you got played, you know. So so for me, don't feel bad if you're going to put uh, your developers straight through the ringer. You know, um, I know that when I, I worked at Hawaiian, I had like a six or seven hour interview. It was crazy. I talked to many different managers and, and different staff, and they put me through things, examples, all that. But I also know how it is there. It's crazy there. It, I mean, it's like rapid development, but they do things with agile, all that stuff. So, you know, it's very, 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 it's very fluid and things move quick. So you got to be in, in command of your knowledge and your experience. You can't just talk your way into a job there. And that's one thing I do respect about some of the staff is that they take that serious. Um, you know, there was one gentleman in particular, he used to work for Microsoft, so... He was a stickler and he's a developer type now, but you know, I have a lot of respect for him because you know, not only would he ask you questions, but then if you answered it right or wrong, there's always a million ways and different things that you can do to be more efficient. So you gotta keep in mind, there's not always a right answer. There's an efficient answer, you know? So you always have to make sure, look at the context of what you're doing, what you're building, project, all that, make sure that it makes sense. Right. It makes sense with the resources that you have, the, uh, the personnel that you have. You don't want to go off and implement Node.js if you don't have anybody that understands Node.js except for you. Because if you decide to leave, you know, 
yeah, I mean, you're trying to code yourself into job security, but you shouldn't do that. So, you know, you definitely need to make sure that you have the experience that it takes, but that the team has it as well, right? You need experienced, knowledgeable staff to pull off this feat. And I'll tell you, if you decide to do it, it's fun. It's fun to sell. It's fun writing software from scratch. You get to learn a lot about the business, things that you didn't know. You get to learn on the fly, and that's what's amazing about it. A lot of people don't necessarily see it that way. They think, well, I just want to be a part of this so that I can have my name on it. No, you should look at this as an opportunity to learn more, right? Expand your horizons, grow your knowledge more. I love working on projects, especially if it's things that, that like, let's just say I don't 100% know I may be aware of because it gives me opportunity to learn. Now, the staff around you needs to be as understanding and, they, you know, like, you need to have a good environment fostering the collaboration and communication so that everyone can be on the same page. You know, so that I think is important, especially if you're going to write software, because this is not just a one or two week thing that that uh, you're talking about doing. Typically, writing software is going to be, you know, you'll have your little MVP, your minimal value product, but you may be two, three, four, maybe five versions out from an actual productionized version. So it could be that you go through five or more stages of MVP and you slowly start to iteratively build up to something, right? So there needs to be a lot of, a lot of back and forth, a, a, you know, uh, there needs to be a lot of collaboration in between the ranks from a management all the way down uh, to development lead, all the way down like to developer and back up the chain. Don't forget about QA. Right, you need to get QA in there at the at the beginning, especially if, if you're gonna write software. What better way to make sure that you're on the right track than to have QA in your development meetings when you're discussing trying to kick this off and do this? While you're discussing the technical requirements, they can be listening in and understanding testing requirements, test cases, right? There's more to it than you know, it's not just you purchase software or you write software and then you're done. No. As you go. You need to make sure that you're doing the things that you need to do to fully vet out what you're doing. Security and compliance. Get them in there at the, you know, when you're trying to figure out what your architecture should be. They should be there then, making sure things are secure, safe. If it's not, get them at that point. It's harder to make a security and compliance change if you already have an architecture and a solution built versus if you're trying to lay out one, right? So... This should not be, this should not be like an exercise in GI Joe, or someone trying uh, to lead off and and uh, to do it. You know, great. We know that you have experience. Other people have experience. Building software takes a team. Now, if it's a small piece of software, a little parser or something like that, okay, you can probably do that on your own. But I'm talking about those enterprise projects, those large projects that require multiple people. You know, so. But yeah, you have a lot more control. But it depends on your staff if you if you write. Obviously, you know, when you undertake anything this large, there needs to be a good life work balance. Writing software isn't gonna get done in a day, but you need to be mindful that people have lives. So for all you managers out there, right, you know, you need to make sure that you appropriately set the proper milestones and due dates. Now, if it's something that is critical, you know, hey, you got to do what you got to do. But it is a delicate balancing act, right? So you need to make sure that you have good analysts and project managers in there as well as your developers and your, and your, and your testers to make the most out of the time that you have. Be efficient, right? The best thing for you to do to get to market quick with written software is to be efficient in your planning. Be thorough. I've seen people that just talk about things five, 10 minutes, and then they think that they got it, they build it, and then they're like, oh, crap, well, we need to do this now. Well, your architecture doesn't support it. So got to go back to the drawing board. Then it's rework, right? So folks need to think about these things, you know. Um, you know. And then uh, last but not least, right, you control the cost. I mean, you know, well, actually, not the last point, but one of one 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 of one of the few last points. But you can you can control the cost, but you got to make sure that if you're going to build your own software, investments in hardware, software, technology, 
you know, any software, any anything that could be a third-party component, things like that. You need you need to take all that into account. Um, your cloud services, anything subscribed like that, right? Things that you're going to need. Sometimes, you know, you may not have all the brain trust that you need internal, like to get this done, but there's a DLL out there. There's there's a cloud instance API or something that you can call to get you the data that, that you need or to do something, right? So you got to make sure that you plan for those and leverage that into the, the overall cost of the, of the, of the budget, you know, um, you know, that's going to be more, I think of a capital expense than anything than operating. Uh, cause it's something that you're going to have to put on the books, probably a one-time thing, but the operating expense from that will be, if it's, if it's something of a, of a, of a support of a subscription manner. So, you know, like if you have to pay for some monthly service or something like that, that's probably going to be more, of your operating expense. So you need to, you need to work that in. Um, so don't forget about that, you know, but now finally, last but not least in terms of support and security and compliance, you know, support you on your own, <laughs> something goes wrong. You got developers. So if you lose people, if you get people or gain people in, you know, you need to keep people trained up. I've seen it where people just don't keep people trained up. Something happens in the software. One of your good developers leaves. Now you're up a creek. You know, you, you knew what you signed up for. You knew what you signed up for. So you need to make sure that in addition to like writing this software, that you have a good plan to onboard people, keep people up to date, consistently check in with people and make sure that there's KT going on. Cause uh, you know, for me as a developer, I've learned I'm an ex business owner and developer and management. So I know the importance of documentation. But a lot of developers do not like to document. We would rather just write code. I know that of my fellow men and women. I get that. I'm a little different than that because my bread and butter at the time when I ran my own uh, firm was not only uh, did I have to do all the project management and the analysis and the development, but I also had to do the support. So for me, I had superb documentation. If something happened, I knew exactly what to do and where to go. Not everybody thinks that way, but you have to if you're going to write your own software. That's imperative. If you're not willing to do the support, if you don't have people that are willing to roll up their sleeves and dig, like for answers, friends, I don't know what to tell you. Um, you know, you might want to go the other route and buy some software, but if you're going to write software, support is already, it's assigned to you the moment that you say, just like... <laughs> It's just like a marriage. As soon as you say, I do, your life changes. As soon as you say, I will write this, your life changes. So you need to be responsible. Developers, level up, you know. And in terms of security and compliance, you're also responsible for that. So if you're doing something with PCI, you're back on, let's say, impl implementation. You shouldn't be, but if you're on like a 1.x implementation, uh, you need to be doing what you need to do to get up to two, three, and higher, right? Your responsibility. So you need to have staff that can keep you engaged with, with uh, the different work and things that it takes to get that done. If you're not willing to take that on, and friends, you, you know, um, there's no attestation that's going to come your way. You are the attestation. So if you have a security and compliance department and they see that you're kind of lax on your uh, standards, you will get written up. So it's best to get them involved at the beginning of a project if you're, if you're going to write and understand the expectations from the development standpoint as well as the implementation of, of a whatever protocols that you're going to be using, any type of compliance, right? And then mature that relationship. Don't just do it one time and then it's over. Sorry, you need to stay in tune, in touch. Um, most people have to do renewals, attestation uh, reviews yearly. So make sure that you are proactive development team and get in line with your security and compliance expert and make sure that you're doing that because that will be your responsibility first and foremost, always. So, so what should you do? Should you buy it or should you build? You know, I'm biased. I mean, for me, I, I would always write. The reason why is because I have more flexibility. I can do more for my business. I'm not a package solution where I can say, hey, I can do this for you, but I can't do that, can't do that, can't do that, right? So 
for me, obviously, I'm always going to say that. Now, there's going to be some times where that's not the choice that you should make. And that's understandable. But it really comes down to the needs of your business, right? Not wants, the needs. What do you need to do? What do you need to achieve? And then from that, then, then, well, then, you know, uh, you need to understand, okay, how can I go about achieving that? If things are going to be kind of in a generalized manner, you can probably get away with software. But if you have specific custom processes and different things, then you probably need to go write that. I'm just telling you right now, you probably need to write that. Um, you know, because overall you have more control. You have control of a lot of things. You have a control over, you know, what you write, the processes, like I said, the business logic that gets implemented, the cost. You have a team of developers. They're already on payroll. So, you know, the support costs, you already have developers on payroll. You know, you have a BA, you have a PM, you know, so you have all the pieces that you need right there to help you to support this moving moving forward, right? But again, it comes down to that vetting. If you don't vet, then it's all for naught. But if you do write your own software, it's kind of like it gives you a good sense of ownership, you know, and it gives you a good sense of ownership across pretty much all, all disciplines, you know, uh, your PM and your BA, uh, your developers, testers, your deployers, I mean, just everybody. You know, you have people that take pride. If you know that you're building a flagship product for your business, people take pride in that and doing the things that they do. I know I once was, you know, when I was younger, I worked for a, uh, I worked for a loan company. Um, and they were in the subprime market, and we wrote our own, our own application ledger. So it basically was it would go and price loans for people that were subprime, right? Did some jumbo stuff, some prime stuff, right? But it would go through, it would hit country uh, wide, and it would pull back rates. It would hit lending tree. It would pull back rates, and then we would aggre aggregate that data, run it through our little quote unquote business logic matrix. And then we would go ahead and determine here's the package or packages that we think you could, you know, use, do, or afford. And and I remember like uh, uh, to keep this thing up and running, it took it took a village. There was a lot of different people. Different people had different aspects. Like we had uh, my buddy Harold. He was he was the support guy, you know, and he was answering all of those questions. And then there was me, and the rest of my guys. I had like three or four guys that I used to just say, hey, let's get this done and lead the charge because I was like the lead developer. And so it was fun because we learned new things. We learned how to work with APIs. We did the MISMO spec, you know, like an XML, XSLT at the time. That was like the cool thing, you know. So, I mean, all that stuff was cool, you know. So, and it gave people a sense of accomplishment. I mean, every day where it's like, okay, I did something. I helped to actually create the bottom line for the company and they could see it. It was something tangible that they could touch. They could see the company. They actually, um, uh, uh, they did really well for a long time just because of this homegrown application. I mean, it was, it was amazing. My boss at the time, uh, uh, his name was Calvin and shout out to him. Um, you know, he kept us all, you know, he gave me a lot of uh, rain and, and uh, you know, but, you know, uh, there was some things that when uh, when they would come down the pike, he'd call me in, we'd talk about it, figure out a good, clean way to implement it. Then i set the troops off and then do it. So it was like, it was a well-oiled machine. But that thing made us a whole lot of money. And it was really cool, like, to see it work. Um, the company has since dissolved, and they I think they were bought out by Home Depot. Or, 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 or sorry, uh, not Home Depot, Loan Depot out there in uh, in sunny Southern California, down in the Irvine area. So, yeah, so uh, we did really big things uh, with a skeleton crew that actually it wound up actually turning into something that a lot of y'all know about, and probably some people have loans through them. Really, 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 really cool. So, you know, I just say that depending on what you want to do, it really comes down to the needs of your business, it comes down to your resources and what you have at, at, at uh, your disposal. Choose wisely, but, you know, just know either way that you choose, you're going to have to vet the hell out of this. 
make sure that you have all your I's dotted, all your T's crossed, right? Um, you have to make sure. But if you can get together up front and talk it through either way with all of the different areas of business and the technology departments, right? This is what we're thinking about doing, writing versus buying. What should we do? Talk through it. A lot of people like to make those silo decisions and then what that happened, and then I've seen it time and time again, what happens is you get pigeonholed into something and now uh, your vendor isn't willing like to shift much and you're not gonna move much, so then you neither, and so uh, you neither have a way forward, right? And you neither, you know, it's like you don't have anywhere that you can go. You don't have any more understanding or knowledge of what you're trying to achieve. So it's really important, friends, that you talk this out, lay it out on paper, discuss it, um, you know, uh, Venn diagramming, you know, understanding your return on an, on an investment, I mean, everything, and get a good idea as to what you're about to go into. But if you do decide to write, it's one of the most amazing experiences that you'll ever, as a developer, that you'll ever go through. You'll really learn a lot. You'll understand more about technology and your strengths and you'll develop some in the process so i hope that helps uh, y'all out there if you ever have any questions at all hit me up on brada.works hit the contact link and you can uh, reach out to me happy to answer your questions or your concerns i've been there i've done it i'm a survivor i'm doing it right now i'm gonna do it next week i'm gonna continue to do it so one love is always y'all this is the tech brada 